it's time for you all to wake up and shift your paradigm. This world is the kingdom of darkness and we are living in its last days. It won't be long before the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat and the earth and everything therein shall be burnt up. The Luciferian elite have been setting up the new world order and now they've established the globalist beast system for the rise of that wicked one and revealing of the man of sin who comes after the workings of Satan. Don't take my word for it. Read the Bible and you'll know that perilous times shall come in the last days and we are in the last days. Sean here and I hope you're doing well. Today's an interesting one so let's jump right in. Today we're going to read a testimony from a lady that used to fellowship with Isaiah Saldivar and his group called The Awakening 209. Her blog posted in 2019 was shared with me anonymously along with screenshots as you can see here of Isaiah confirming the story was about him. The blog is called I Was in a Christian Cult. Now, for legal reasons, this is a personal testimony and should be taken as opinion and not fact. This is no different than when we read the testimonies from people that left the New Apostolic Reformation. This is her blog and stories of her family. And this is her testimony. I can't see why she would write such a long story unless she was truly affected by this experience. But let's begin. When I was 19 years old, I went through a traumatic breakup. In my extremely emotional and spiritually vulnerable state, I sought out a place where I belonged. I realized that I needed God, but I didn't know where to even begin to find Him. I chose to try something different than what I had experienced in my life growing up in church. I chose to give something a little more radical a chance. I was living in Washington at the time and I was eager to get back home to California to a fresh start. I became aware of this group through a friend who was offering support to me. Watching her experience through social media gave me hope. She seemed so full of joy and she seemed different. I wanted to be different, so I was immediately interested in visiting once I got home. Leading up to my move home, I received a Facebook message from this group's leader offering prayer and support. I was so touched that someone would reach out to a stranger like that. I still believe that he was genuine in that initial message. Upon arriving in California, I made plans to visit a prayer meeting set up by this group. I was drawn in by the words revival and move of God. I attended a meeting and realized that if radical was what I wanted, radical was what I was going to get here. The passionate leader didn't sit quietly to give a sermon. He yelled because he needed us to know we were headed for hell if we continued on the path that we were on. He needed us to know that we put too much weight on the grace of God and not enough on his wrath. Despite my intrigue in this group that preached things I had never heard before, I remained cautious. I allowed strangers to pray for me if they offered, but I tried to observe from the sidelines. It must have been obvious that I was holding back, because on that first night, I had multiple people coming up to me offering to pray for me. 
I couldn't help but notice that everyone knew things about me. How could they know these things? Was God really speaking to them? I realized later that this was just information passed around about me before I had attended. They knew what to say to make me feel something. On my third time attending, these constant prayers finally shattered my cold exterior. I broke down crying. I felt welcomed, loved, and cared for. I felt like these people wanted the best for me. After it was clear that I had let down my walls, I was immediately invited to attend their private leadership prayer meetings. The invitation was exciting. It meant they saw something special in me. I had no experience in church leadership, so I couldn't see the red flag of them wanting clueless and vulnerable people involved in their leadership. I attended and was met with so much warmth and attention. They asked questions about me. They wanted to know me and be my friend. At the time, I couldn't think of anything I wanted more than to be heard and to have friends who cared for me. I now realize that this is what is known as love bombing, and I fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. One day, I was sitting on the couch after our public prayer meeting had ended. I was speaking to a girl I went to high school with, who I never had a good relationship with, but she seemed not to care about the past. She made me feel like we could start new, and that she would not hold anything against me. We were new creations and all, weren't we? I remember admiring her hair, which was very long at the time. I told her how pretty it was, and that I was jealous of it. Instead of thanking me, she responded telling me that it wasn't me who admired her hair, it was Jezebel, and Jezebel made me feel that way because she wanted what this girl had. I was confused so I asked for her to elaborate. She told me that I had the spirit of Jezebel and that I was oppressed by it. She stated that she saw it on me the moment I arrived for the first meeting. She explained to me that there are many demons that people are oppressed by and that Jezebel was one of the most dangerous, that she sought to take down godly men and moves of God. Of course, I was horrified. I was here because I wanted to know God, not to destroy what he was doing through these people. I asked her how to get rid of it, and she introduced me to what they call deliverances. In my experience in this group, a deliverance was basically an exorcism. It was done through prayer, and it released people of their oppression from demons. I was made to believe that until I was delivered, I could not have the Holy Spirit. I was told stories about other leaders throwing up black sludge in their deliverances. Some levitated, and some even climbed up the walls. I couldn't believe all this was real, but everyone reassured me that it was definitely real, and it was something that was necessary to grow in my walk. If this many people attested to this being truth, why shouldn't I believe it? I was made to believe that I had never seen it before because every other church I had been to was not spirit-filled. I immediately asked leadership to schedule my deliverance. Leading up to it, I wrote down everything I had ever done wrong, the people that I'd held grudges against, my sins, even the struggles of my family members. When I arrived for my deliverance, there were four people there, all under the age of 23. They told me to begin by repenting for everything I had ever done. I was encouraged to share this information with them. This was how they could get an idea of what demons I was oppressed by. Then they told me to line my back. One girl sat on my right arm, one sat on my left, and one sat on my legs. 
They were holding me down and I was terrified. They began praying for me and rebuking all the demons they thought I had, but Jezebel was their main target. They told me to speak any thought I was having because it was the demons speaking through me, and that is how the demons would come out. They yelled at the demons, but really, they were yelling at me. They shoved a Bible into my ribs until I screamed and begged them to stop, but they continued, exclaiming that the demons were angry about what they were doing because they knew they had to leave. After four to five hours, we were done. I was exhausted. I felt heavy and hopeless. I was told to rest and that I would feel lighter soon. They said I might even lose some weight from losing the demons. I was reminded if I sinned that these demons would come back sevenfold and that I would need to be delivered again. After about a month of living sinlessly, and by that I mean staying away from secular entertainment, not hanging out with my old friends, not spending time with my family, and spending every waking moment either with them or at Starbucks reading my Bible, and all the things that were just not encouraged but insinuated as mandatory, it happened. I sinned big time. It is important that I state here that our leader claimed that God would give him a word of knowledge when someone was thinking or doing something they shouldn't so that he could protect himself and pray for them. It was more than implied that he could read our thoughts through God speaking to him, even going as far to warn a new girl one night that he knew what she was thinking about him and that she should stop now. So when I messed up, I knew I needed to tell them. Not just to be held accountable, but because obviously he already knew, right? God would have definitely told him about my transgressions. I wondered if Jezebel was controlling me the whole time, and that's why I messed up. At the time, I was on my way to becoming a prayer warrior. In the hierarchy of the group, there was the leader and his family members, then prayer warriors, then catchers, who were basically assistants to prayer warriors. I was a catcher who was almost always paired with the girl I knew from high school who had originally told me about Jezebel. When I told them what I did, I had multiple meetings where I was shamed and berated for what I did. It was clear that my chances at moving up the chain to being a prayer warrior were derailed. After this moment, everything changed. I was no longer part of the family. I was watched and checked up on. I had another four hour long deliverance where I once again left in tears, bruised and beaten up physically, emotionally and spiritually. I believed that my unbearable anxiety and fear after the fact meant that it didn't work. I wondered if I would ever be rid of these demons. I would get messages asking where I was, accusing me of being with guys or with people drinking when I was just at home with my family. I remember a time when I was with a friend I had known my whole life making donuts with her and her siblings. I posted a photo with her and my phone started blowing up with warnings to leave immediately and that they know what happens in that house. I had no choice but to tell my friend that I wasn't allowed to be there and that I had to go. I still regret not standing up to them and allowing them to break down a friendship that meant so much to me. I was continually told that my relationships outside the group were not biblical, as we were not to fellowship with the world. I was told that my own mother was not a Christian because she attended a church that was a typical lukewarm American church. 
If I was going to talk to anyone outside the group, I needed to be inviting them to the prayer meeting or talking about our meetings. It was expected for us to send weekly text messages to everyone in our contacts, inviting them to come. We were expected to post constantly about what God was doing and to share about the revelation God had given us. People needed to know we were special and this is where God was with us. We were expected to attend every single prayer meeting. There was no excuse for not coming. If you did not come or you left early, you would be reprimanded. Our schedule was as follows. Prayer before church on Sunday, then church then hang out with the group after church until the prayer meeting that night. Mondays were for our leadership meeting. Tuesdays were for our public prayer meetings. Wednesday was for church youth group. Thursdays was another private prayer meeting. And Fridays and Saturdays were free time, as long as you spent your free time with the group or reading your Bible at Starbucks. Our meetings lasted from 6 p.m. to 11 or 12. If we left before 11, we had to have a good reason. I recall a time where I had to fake having severe stomach issues and say I was planning on going to urgent care just to get them off my back. There was no freedom. I remember never wanting to risk being reprimanded for missing a meeting because it would be utterly humiliating having to step down when I was almost a prayer warrior. I was almost in the main group of leaders and I couldn't risk it. It was not about getting closer to God, but being as high up in the group as we could. Everyone wanted to be in the inner circle, first and foremost. We could not question the authority and revelation of our leader and his family. In fact, no one could. Any church that tried to lead him was rejected unless they completely aligned with his views and allowed him to act as he felt God was leading him. He said that he did this because he didn't want the American church to put out the revival. He didn't want lukewarm Christians to extinguish the move of God that he was called to run. If you questioned him or his theology, he would talk down to you in a condescending manner and bombard you with Bible verses that backed up his warped thinking. People who didn't support what the ministry believed as truth were lukewarm and persecuting us. There was no room for criticism or critical thinking only blind submission. Looking back, I can't believe I didn't see the warning signs of allowing a 21-year-old newly saved Christian to run an entire ministry made up of primarily young adults. A few months into my time with this group, two close friends I had in the ministry left. I was constantly warned not to talk to them about how I felt and what was going on because that was considered gossip. Every time I saw them, I was grilled about what I told them and if I gossiped. They knew these people could show me the reality of what was going on because they had been through it. They had been followed home by leaders to make sure they weren't lying about where they were going. They had been led on by men in leadership who were somehow immune to abiding by the rules of not hanging out with the opposite sex one-on-one. When they spoke about these things, they were yelled at and ganged up on. They were told it was their fault, reprimanded, and made out to be liars. They knew the tendency of the group to actually gossip about people, but pray for them after, so it was okay. If I talked to them about my concerns, I would learn all of these things. I was continually warned that they had backslid into sin and into the world and were no longer people to fellowship with, all because they left the group. 
After spending enough time with these friends, I was asked to come for a private meeting about where I was spiritually and my future at becoming a prayer warrior. I was then reprimanded and told I had to step down from even being a catcher because I was gossiping and causing division. I was yelled at by two adult men until I was sobbing. I had no advocate. I had no means of standing up for myself. I had been conditioned to never question their authority and to be obedient no matter what. If I had doubts about anything, that was a demon. I was not allowed to think for myself, so I accepted their punishment and felt true remorse for what I had done. Though I was asked to step down, I was still expected to be at all of the meetings, including the meeting that followed immediately after my reprimanding. I was clearly emotional and devastated that I had been asked to step down, but I was told to pretend I was fine. The pressure of being perfect and the reality of my failure hit me all at once, and I began to have a panic attack. I was crying, and I couldn't breathe. I was told that it wasn't a panic attack, but that I was manifesting a demon. Of course, this only made things worse because I felt like I just couldn't escape all these demons. I was told to leave because I was embarrassing them and causing a scene by crying. I was told to go straight home and tell no one about what happened, not even my family. I couldn't drive 30 minutes home in the midst of a panic attack, so I went to my friend's home that was five minutes away. I spilled to her what had happened and without missing a beat, I was called and asked where I was. I told the truth and I was yelled at to leave and reprimanded for gossip again. I felt like I couldn't do anything right. I just needed support and I couldn't get it from the people I was dedicating my life to and I was forbidden to get it elsewhere. I immediately drove home out of fear of getting kicked out forever. Following that event, I continued to walk in eggshells. I was constantly being told how to act and what I could and could not say, and I did my best to stay obedient. I just wanted to have a place where I fit, and I just didn't fit. I was miserable. I felt alone. I felt like there was no escaping the darkness that seemed to have a hold on my life. I realized that I couldn't win with these people, and I began to stop caring at all. I spent more time with my friends who had left, and I didn't try to build stronger bonds with those still involved. If I can't fit in with them, and I can't get rid of my demons, why even try? It all came to an end six months after it had begun. I decided to attend a birthday party for a friend's son, and I let my leaders know that I would not be attending the prayer meeting because I was busy. I received a barrage of text messages. When I didn't answer a phone call, I was threatened and told to come to the meeting immediately. I couldn't do it anymore. I finally felt the peace I so desperately wanted, and I realized that I needed to put this chapter of my life behind me. I replied that I would not be attending and that I was done. Throughout the night, my phone was going off with messages about me throwing my eternity away and turning my back on God. I did my best to respectfully let everyone know that I needed to walk with God on my own now, and that's what I did. I'm so grateful that God gave me the strength to walk away. I later learned that all my personal business was public knowledge in the group. My past and present sins were topics of conversation. My whereabouts were always known, whether it was through someone innocently asking what I was up to today, keeping tabs on my social media, or demanding I tell them where I am and what I'm doing. 
I learned that the girl I thought cared about me and forgave me from high school had poisoned the other members against me before I even attended. She threw screaming crying fits, demanding that the other girls stand between me and the leader so that Jezebel couldn't get to him. She asked my friends for information on me to get me in trouble. She wanted me assigned as her catcher so that she could keep an eye on me, and she seemed to have planned to exclude me under the guise of teaching me and helping me. It took me years to work out who God really was to me. I still lie awake at night worrying about my salvation and if I'm still oppressed by demons. These wounds created by this ministry have taken years to heal. I wondered why I couldn't just be accepted as I was and why my desire to grow and change was always questioned. I know now that God is bigger than the box I was taught to put him in. I eventually chose to research cults and what they really are. Were they always bearded men living on a commune with a bunch of hippie girls? Were cults only the small groups with made-up religions who take part in suicide packs? What I found resonated with me on the deepest level. And you can see there's a link to the CARM site about cults that you can check in. The video today is Isaiah Saldivar exposing himself, and little does he know that's exactly what he does. We're going to watch the full video with commentary along the way, and for those who do follow him or other deliverance ministries, please understand that my video is to help you. We have many videos in the Deliverance playlist here on Revealing Truth that you can watch and will show you the false teachings they have from Scripture. Remember, Jesus said that many would call him Lord on Judgment Day and claim to have cast out demons, but Jesus never knew them and they will end up in hell. So let's get to this video. No, this is not clickbait. We're going to be talking about is Isaiah Saldivar a false teacher? I've been called false teacher, false prophet, one person who called me a witch doctor, and many other crazy names on YouTube. And I want to answer biblically, what does it mean to be a false teacher? And do I qualify as a false prophet or a false teacher? Interestingly enough, every person that's ever called me a false teacher or false prophet on this platform, YouTube, has been non-charismatics and non-Pentecostals, people that don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, don't believe in deliverance, and don't believe in miracles. Well, no fear, my friends, because I am not one of those people. I'm a continuous and believe we all have spiritual gifts as God has chosen to give us. I do believe in deliverance in both Christians and non-Christians, just not the unbiblical way you teach. And yes, of course, I believe in miracles. So right from the start, Isaiah is setting you up with a false narrative. And all the videos I've watched calling me a false teacher, they're all not really mad at me. They're mad that I believe Jesus still casts demons out of people, Jesus still heals people, and the Holy Spirit is for today. Another false statement. Of all the channels that have corrected Isaiah's teachings, and there's many, I don't know of one that is mad at Isaiah because he believes in deliverance, that Jesus still heals, and that the Holy Spirit is for today. People are upset because you teach that born-again believers can be indwelt with demons that need to be cast out, and you deliverance ministers blame almost everything negative on a demon rather than addressing sin issues. I don't consider them personal attacks because there's really no personal attacks on my character, but I do want to discuss, am I a false teacher and what does the Bible say about false teachers? Should you avoid me? Let's talk about it in this video. Okay, before I give you biblical, five biblical reason on what a false teacher is, I wanna tell you a little bit about myself if you don't know me, maybe you're new to the channel, or maybe you click this because you wanna see me get exposed. 
and stay tuned because we are going to hear a whole lot of him talking about just how Christian he really is. I got saved in 2011, January 12th. I was an atheist. I didn't believe in God. I claimed that God wasn't real. If you want to see my full testimony, I'll link it in the description. But I have a really radical testimony. God radically saved me, spoke to me, and said, go preach to my people. That led to me not sleeping for three days, not eating for two weeks. And if you want to hear his testimony, you can do so on this video of him sharing it on The Sid Roth Show, where he heard the audible voice of God after swearing at him. And I'm afraid this sounds more like Isaiah was possessed by a demon rather than becoming born again. A uh, revival broke out of my home. I had four to 500 people coming. As I shared my testimony, the power of God moved. We went from a year of being in my house, having revival, 2011, to a church building in 2012. And while he was doing his home church, there's obviously many things we don't know. But in this video, Escaping a Deliverance Ministry, we have a testimony from someone who was in that home church and the disturbing things that really went on. To a third church building in 2014, to I senior pastor that church that the revival started with. I senior pastor that for 10 years. So yes, I senior pastor for 10 years. I went through, many of you don't know this, four years of Bible college. From the day I got saved until now, maybe some of you that think I'm a heretic don't know this, I've been submitted under a local church and a local pastor. I've had three to five spiritual coverings and fathers all at the same time for the last 12 years that watch my videos, that correct my teachings, that point out any areas that are theologically unsound or, un or unbiblical. So he's obviously under spiritual fathers that agree with his false teachings on deliverance, if none of them can see the error of his ways. That's about as credible as me saying that I have spiritual fathers over me, making sure my teaching is biblical. And those fathers are Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Jesse Duplantis, Todd Bentley, and Sid Roth. If God was going to bring correction to me, even though I'm submitted to four or five spiritual fathers, do you really think he'd use a random YouTuber to make a video about how I'm a false teacher, a false preacher? That's not the way God's divine order works. God can bring correction to you any way he wants. And who are you to lecture us on how God's divine order works? The fact is that you are in so deep with your deception on deliverance that even when people do show you it's wrong from God's word, you won't listen. And honestly, the way I consider these heresy hunter channels or discernment ministries is cringe. You consider them to be cringe because they're pointing out your false teachings. Nobody has to hunt for heresy these days. It's posted all over the internet. And since when did discernment, one of God's gifts, become cringe when helping people know God's truth? I consider them to be cringe. I consider them to be immature. I'm 31 years old. I don't have time to be making videos about other people, how they're false, how they're wrong. You don't have the time to do that because you're too busy being one of the false teachers that needs to be called out. I think a lot of these guys need to go out and do the work instead of spending their time making videos about people. Ah, yes. One of my favorite comments I get, like this recent one. Making heresy hunter videos. Where's your fruit? And the videos going into the world for the lost and preaching the gospel. There's much more to the walk than just making exposed videos. These critics think that all discernment channels do is expose people. But they fail to understand that when we are out preaching the gospel and doing works for God's kingdom, we aren't doing it with a video camera to prove how godly we are. Matthew 6 comes to mind. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done will secretly reward you. What I and others do for the Lord is between us and Him, and you're not going to see us making videos to prove to you what good servants we are. Um, as YouTube grows and the live stream has grown and the videos have grown, I had 10,000 subs at the end of 2020 and we're about to hit 500,000. So it's part of the territory. No matter what type of channel you have, what type of ministry you have, there's always someone out there going to call you false, going to hate on you. I don't lose sleep over it. It doesn't affect me. I do want to talk about, though, what does the Bible say about false teachers? And he's right. We all have our critics, but some issues need to be addressed more than others, such as this false deliverance ministry that's keeping people in bondage, not setting them free. And now Isaiah tells you how qualified he really is. So I've been preaching for 12 years. I've preached uh, for 10 years. I traveled pretty much full-time while senior pastoring. I preached in over 500 churches. I've preached uh, uh, over 2,000 times at my church. I preached over 600 times every single week for 10 years. And then as I was traveling, some weeks I preached eight different times traveling. Again, I've always been submitted to spiritual authority. I've always submitted to three to five pastors at one time. But it doesn't matter how much you've preached if you are preaching a false message. Um, I'm a part of a local church. I've always been a part of a local church. I love the local church. I love the body of Christ. I uh, maybe, how long was it? A year after getting saved, I met my wife who I never dated anybody after getting saved. I was never with any w girls at all. The first person I had feelings for was my wife. We never dated. We got engaged and two and a half months later, we got married. We just celebrated 10 years of marriage. I've never had any scandals. I've never had any drama with anybody. I have no, nothing you can dig up about me that I haven't already told about my testimony. I'm again, being transparent. I've lived a clean life since I got saved. I've never backslid, never gone back to the world, never fallen back to my old sins. When people have to go on and on to let you know how good of people they are, they're doing it for a reason. Righteous people let their actions speak for themselves. They don't have to convince you, but he continues. I've been faithful to one wife for 10 years. I have four beautiful children, Justice, Journey, Harvest, and Nova. And I love Jesus. I genuinely love Jesus. And I'm always suspicious of people like Todd White and Isaiah now that have to tell you how much they love Jesus. I mean, don't you believe me? I really, really love Jesus. It's not about for me views. You know this. It's not about money. I can care less about the views, the money. All of our content is on YouTube for free. The only charged content we have are videos other ministries have taken of me and they've charged for e-courses, which is Sid Roth and Jeremiah Johnson. So I've never, I don't have any content that's charged or paid for. Really, Isaiah? Are you saying that you don't make a penny from your product on the Sid Roth show? which I don't think it's wrong to charge for content. I don't think it's wrong to sell Christian books. I just personally don't have them. No, your site doesn't have Christian books. You have other stuff for sale in your store. Things like all sorts of apparel, clothing galore, 13 pages to be exact. It's not about money. He's got four pages of wall art. It's not about money. There's a wide variety of accessories, eight pages of them two pages of drinkware, and those are some pricey coffee cups. It's not about money. So don't tell me it's not about the money. 
And again, I look at some guys that call me out or call me a heretic. And the only reason why I found videos that have called me a heretic and what they've said is because I believe Christians can have demons. I believe in casting out demons. I believe in doing miracles. I've never been called out by a charismatic. I've never been called out by a Pentecostal. Well, technically, I would be considered a charismatic or Pentecostal. And by God's grace, I and others can see through the over-the-top shenanigans polluting the church today. I've never had drama with any of these people and I will not make response videos. This is what makes them mad. I will not make videos. I'm 31 years old. I'm way too old to be making response videos to all of these guys that want to stir up drama. Nobody is doing this to stir up drama. And this video he's doing is a response video. It's just not addressing a specific video. Drama gets views, drama gets clicks, and I'm not interested in it. Are you serious, Isaiah? Have you watched your own videos casting demons out of believers? That's about as dramatic as it gets. Again, I've been preaching 12 years. I'm a part of a local church. I love Jesus. I love the Bible. I'm a student of the word. I've preached the entire book of Revelation, Acts, Romans, and um, right now we're doing Philippians all on live stream. Again, I'm a student of the word. I love the Bible. I do have a degree in theology. I'm not some Lone Ranger prophet. Now, I didn't blow up overnight. Some of you think, oh, because my internet blew up, but don't realize I have been preaching for 12 years. I've been involved in church for 12 years. I've been serving God, going strong, and I have no plans of quitting anytime soon. I just wanted to give some of you a background of my story before you just judge me or said, who is this guy? You know, out here preaching, he must have blew up this young guy that doesn't know the Bible. I've been at this thing for 12 years going strong, and I'm gonna keep going strong. So with that being said, that's a little bit about me. Maybe you don't know. This video is called, you know, avoid this fault teacher, Isaiah Saldivar exposed. So that's me exposed. So whatever dirt you think you have, Dig it up, because I've already shared my testimony. I've already given everything. Again, I've never had any scandals or anything you can call out that I haven't already discussed or called out. I've been living a pure and clean life, and I'm proud to say that, and I will boast in Christ on that, because, I, again, I love the Lord. I'm a preacher of holiness. If you know my sermons, I preach repentance strong. I preach holiness strong. I preach Jesus strong. I'm sola scriptura. I believe in the word of God as God's final authority. I believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father. I believe all the core tenets of the faith. But he has to keep convincing you that he really is a Jesus-loving believer and teaches all the right things. Guess what? Jim Jones would have said a lot of the right things too. And Kenneth, Jesse, Benny, and Todd would also agree with what you just said. Yet these are some of the biggest heretics out there. Okay, so what's a false teacher? What makes somebody a false teacher? I'm going to give you five reasons, okay? And the first chapter of Jude gives us some really good reasons. Verse 3 says, Dear friends, I've been eagerly planning to write you about the salvation we all share, but now I find I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted you for his holy people. So Jude says, I want to talk about other things, but I got to talk to you about what's going on in the church. There's false teachers in the church. And this is what verse 4 says. He says, I say this because some ungodly people, notice what he says there, have wormed their way into your churches, saying that the grace of God allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they've denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so he's going to give us some key here. What are the signs of a false teacher? Number one, false teacher, false prophet, is they live ungodly lives. This is the first indication. They don't live godly. They don't have the fruits of the Holy Spirit. They, they're not worried about what they watch, what they listen to, how they live. They live loose, loose lifestyles. This is exa exactly what Jude is saying. God is looking for character over gifting, okay? We need to, as preachers and teachers, walk in holiness. If your pastor's living ungodly, you should not be under that pastor. And one thing I've prided myself in is living a godly life. I don't go do worldly things, listen to worldly music, go out and drinking, partying. I'm against all these things. I walk a holy lifestyle, and I believe 
every preacher should be walking holy. Now, these false teachers were not living godly lives, and they've, they wormed their way into the churches, and they said, the marvelous grace of God allows us to live immoral lives, immoral lifestyles. So sign of a false teacher one is they live ungodly and they challenge other people to live ungodly lifestyles, okay? It's okay to fornicate, it's okay to drink, go where you want, do what you want. Once again, selling you on him not living an ungodly life. But I don't hear most of the false teachers out there telling you that it's okay to go to drinking parties, fornicate, or do whatever you want. And we have to remember that Isaiah said that he's never fallen back into old sins. So maybe he believes in sinless perfection, which is also not biblical this side of heaven. Many people call me legalistic. I don't even share a lot of my convictions because y'all keep saying you're legalistic. You don't go out and do this and do that. I believe we're supposed to be set apart, set aside and consecrated unto God living under. The grace of God is not a license to sin. It's a license to live in the power of God and live a sin-free, walking in holiness. Jesus gives us the power to do that. So the grace of God empowers you to live holy, not doesn't give you a license to live sinful. So he's using Jude to say that one sign of a false teacher is that they preach a license to live sinful. But once again, only the most obvious of heretics would teach that. We are told in Matthew 7:15 that false teachers are wolves in sheep's clothing, looking and acting like true believers, but are not. So number one, they live ungodly. Does Isaiah Saldivar live ungodly? No, I've already said this over and over again. You guys see my life. I live in a glass house the same way you see me live on stream at the church. I live behind closed doors. Okay, number two, sign of a false teacher is they preach a mixed message. Jeremiah 23, 13, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my Israel, my people of Israel astray. So they were mixing in the things of this world, Baal and the teachings of Baal with the teachings of God. So many false teachers and false prophets mix worldly teachings with God's teachings. They mix carnality and worldliness with the gospel message. Jesus said the road that leads to life is difficult. It's narrow. If you hear someone preaching an easy, watered-down gospel, that's the easy way. That's the false gospel way. So false teachers preach a mixed message. And maybe he doesn't teach a mixed message on some topics, but he certainly is in regards to casting out demons from believers. Number three, false teacher. This is according to the Bible, not Heresy Hunter YouTube channels. He's always got to make that jab. But our channels use the Bible to show false teachings of people like Isaiah. Number three is they deny the lordship of Christ. They don't deny Jesus. They deny him lording over people. Jude says they've denied our only master, the Lord Jesus Christ. They say things like Jesus is your homeboy. Jesus is your friend. Just relax. Jesus isn't Lord. And they don't declare Jesus is Lord. And Jude makes this point clear. He is our master. So no, we can't live how we want, do what we want. Jesus is our master and we live the way that he wants us to live and the way he says we should live. So false teachers, they do not declare the lordship or declare that Jesus Christ is master. Once again, low-hanging fruit for spotting obvious false teachers. It's the wolves in sheep's clothing that are harder to spot. Number four, they claim authority from their dreams and visions. Okay, this is verse eight of Jude. It says in the same way, these people, these false teachers, false preachers, they claim authority from their dreams. They live immoral lives. There we see it again. They defy authority and they scoff at supernatural beings. So they're always having a new dream, a new vision. Do I do that? No. Do I get on here and say, I had another dream last night and give you these false dreams? No. Do I claim authority from my dreams? No. Do I give false visions? No. This is what they do, these false teachers and false preachers. He talks about how, you know, angels, supernatural beings, they scoff at them. 
they don't understand them, they make fun of them, they mock them, different things like that. He's just picking out specific verses that give us some things that false teachers do, and because he doesn't do these specific things, well, then I guess he must be a good teacher of God's word. Um, okay, Jeremiah 23, 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They're leading you into futility. They speak visions of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. Again, they speak visions that they've made up. God didn't say it, but they say God said it and they claim authority and they scoff at it. They claim authority from dreams and visions and they scoff at authority. They're not submitted under anybody. And then Jeremiah 23, 30 says, I'm against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal words from each other. They just mimic what every other prophet is saying. Do I do that? Do I get up here and say, I have a new word for you? No, I don't. So he's not a false prophet, but he's still a false teacher. Okay, number five of a false teacher, false prophet, is they refuse any accountability or responsibility. Jude says they scoff at authority. Whenever a false teacher, or false prophet is called out, they scoff at it and they evade accountability. They'll say things like, don't touch the Lord's anointed or you can't tell me what to do. They don't have no accountability. They're not submitted under anybody. First John 4, 1 says to test the spirits and 1 Corinthians 14, 29 says to judge prophecy. So if we're giving prophetic words, we should allow it to be tested and we should allow it to be judged and we should give it to a pastor or leader we're under to see, if it, see what they think about it and to be accountable to them for it. 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 20 speaks of accountability. Um, so it's not wrong or harming to hold people accountable. False prophets do not want to be accountable. They do not want to be responsible for words they prophesied. Okay. Again with the prophecy that he doesn't do and isn't applicable to him. So five signs Jude gives us of, as a false teacher, false prophet, according to the Bible, not Heresy Hunter YouTube channels, is they are ungodly. They preach mixed messages. They deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. They claim authority from dreams and visions, and they refuse any responsibility or accountability. I have not done one of those things. So I cannot be, according to scripture, a false teacher or a false prophet. And if you're new in the faith and don't know your Bible, you're going to think Isaiah is such a smart man and couldn't possibly be a false teacher. Bonus one, John 10 says the false teachers, they run from the wolf when the wolf comes. They run from the battle because they're hirelings. And if you know me, I don't run from the battle. I run straight to the battle. All right, guys, I wanted to give this video Isaiah Saldivar exposed. Maybe you didn't know about me. Been pastoring, pastored for 10 years. I'm a part of a local church now. I've been traveling, preaching over 500 churches. I've been through Bible college. I have a bachelor's in theology. I did four years in Bible college. I'm submitted under three to five men of God at all times. I love the local church. I love God. I've been married 10 years. I have four beautiful kids. I hope this helps some of you that think I'm some demon, that you watch my videos, but you don't think I'm a human. I'm a human. I read the comments and, uh, don't be so so uh, rude out there and arrogant and bold to say so-and-so's a heretic. These heresy hunter channels are not biblical. There's no ministry in the Bible where you're supposed to call people out and that's all you do. These channels, discernment ministries, are not biblical ministries. They're toxic, they're poisonous, and I would challenge you to unsubscribe from them because they don't bring health, healing, or wholeness to the body of Christ. Let me know what you guys think down below. Obviously, if you follow my channel, you don't think I'm a false teacher, false prophet. Hopefully, though, I can get some of you that might be scrolling and browsing YouTube watching some of these hit pieces they've done on me. Again, they have nothing to say because I have no scandals. All they could say is he believes in deliverance, and yes, I unapologetically believe casting out demons is for today because that's what the Bible says. I unapologetically believe miracles are for today because that's what the Bible says. And I unapologetically believe we must repent of our sins. Discernment is one of the spiritual gifts and channels like Isaiah's or Alan Parr's that say you should unsubscribe or not follow discernment channels are leading you astray. You accuse discernment channels of spending all their time doing this, which is false because you have no idea what goes on in their lives aside from these videos. 
If you had nothing to hide, then you wouldn't be worried about discernment channels. If you were always telling the truth, then you wouldn't have to make so many videos like this one. And you have come to your defense many times and said rude things about others, yet you tell commenters not to be rude. Let's look at some other verses that tell us about false teachers. We already looked at Matthew 7.15 and that false teachers look and act like real Christians. Second Peter tells us that they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, such as casting demons out of born-again believers. Romans 16 says that with smooth talk and flattery, they will deceive the minds of naive people. And that's what's happening with deliverance ministries. 2 Corinthians 11 tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light and that it's no surprise that his servants will disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. It's easy for someone to recite scripture and be a false teacher. And as far as discernment goes, we are told to judge those in the church and that God will judge those outside the church. Ephesians 5 tells us to expose the unfruitful works of darkness like the burden you are putting on people thinking they can have no end to having demons cast out of them. Titus 1 tells us that false teachers must be silenced. And Romans 16 tells us to mark those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine we have learned and that we should avoid these people. And all of you with deliverance ministries and casting demons out of believers fall into these descriptions. So to answer your question asking if we should avoid you as a false teacher, yes, Isaiah, you should be avoided. And if I you said this before and I'll say it again. As long as Isaiah continues to blow the same horn defending his false ministry, I'm going to keep putting out videos to help open the eyes of his followers. And it's comments like this, and that some people's eyes are starting to open about Isaiah that keep me inspired and that this is not work in vain. That comment was from the video exposing Isaiah's hypocrisy where he said this. Step number seven. This is number seven. These are the seven steps to casting out demons for beginners. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill them after. Pray that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and be protected. This is the most important part. Remember, Jesus said if the house is empty, that's the key word empty. The Bible says it's in order, but the house is empty. So if it's empty, the demons will come back. We need to fill the house with the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to come into that part of the soul and that part of the person's life that the demon has left. It's very important you do that. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill them. Anoint them with oil. And that is... Seven steps to casting out demons. This one statement should destroy his ministry once and for all. He preached truth and that by having the Holy Spirit in you, you are protected from having demons enter you. Yet he's actually lying to you because he says that spirit-filled believers can have demons in them. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill them after. Pray that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and be protected. So if it's empty, the demons will come back. We need to fill the house with the Holy Spirit. If they're protected, then why do they need demons cast out every few months? How often would you recommend to go in for a session? I would recommend every few months. And him saying that we can pray for the Holy Spirit to enter them and protect them is also ridiculous. The Holy Spirit is not some kind of a guard dog that we can just give to people ourselves. We receive the Holy Spirit when we believe and are saved, as it says in Ephesians 1. Please realize that this whole ministry is a sham, and yet it doesn't seem to matter how many times people like myself refute his false teachings, he keeps making more videos stressing the same lies. 
like this short video that was released just a day ago trying to normalize Christian deliverance, which by their own teaching is casting demons out of spirit-filled believers. Okay, so many people think that Christians can't get delivered. Nobody is saying that Christians can't get delivered. We're just saying spirit-filled believers don't need demons cast out of them because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And you even agreed in the clip we just showed earlier. So you're telling me if I want to get delivered, I have to be an unbeliever or I'm just not a real Christian? So deliverance is for unbelievers, but not for Christians? Having demons cast out of someone is for unbelievers because as you said before, having the Holy Spirit in you is your protection from demons coming back. Yet you don't believe this truth that you preached. And yes, deliverance from demonic oppression is for Christians, but it doesn't involve having demons cast out of us. And there is not one example of that happening in the Bible. Or they say, oh yeah, casting out demons is real, it happens. It just happens in third world countries. What's he even talking about? I don't know anyone that says it only happens in third world countries. Total straw man argument. So you're telling me I have to be in a thir third world country to receive deliverance or to experience the power of God. Nobody is saying that. You can feel the life-changing power of God anywhere in the world after you repent and put your faith in Christ for the payment of your sins. I am telling you, God is moving right now in America. Demons are being cast out, the sick are being healed. Yes, demons are being cast out of non-believers, and yes, miracles are happening. But demons aren't being cast out of born-again believers because, as you said, the Holy Spirit protects us. Oh, right, but you just said that, but don't believe it. Mark 16 says, these signs shall follow them that believe. So we're not following the signs. The signs follow when you believe. If the signs aren't behind you, maybe you don't believe. I know this is controversial, but why? Why is miracles deliverance something Jesus did everywhere he went controversial when we're supposed to be Christ followers? Little Christ on the earth Christians? This needs to be normal, y'all. And yes, for many that passage is controversial. And I believe that some of those signs will follow some believers. But it doesn't say that all those signs will follow all believers. Unfortunately, people like Marcus Rogers believe and preach that all believers will speak in tongues, when scripture is clear that tongues is just one of the gifts God gives and that we don't all have the same gifts. If that understanding of that verse is true, then all those signs should be following all believers. And we should all be drinking poison and not dying. We should all be getting bit by snakes and living. And as far as deliverance goes, it doesn't say that we'll be casting demons out of born-again believers. Remember, pray that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and be protected. So if it's empty, the demons will come back. We need to fill the house with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah doesn't believe what he is preaching. And you have to stop listening to him and all these demon slayers. It's no coincidence, my friends, that out of all the things Jesus specifically mentioned in Matthew 7, casting out demons and prophesying in Jesus' name were two things people that call him Lord would claim to have done, yet Jesus never knew them and they will go to hell. And false prophecy and casting demons out of believers are the two biggest deceptions we see today. So if you are having demons cast out of you, then repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ for the payment of your sins, and you will be born again.
The Holy Spirit will enter you and never leave. And you can be sure that you'll never have a demon cast the out of you. The video we're looking at today is Isaiah's newest guide to casting out demons for beginners. My question is, why have you got to teach the same thing so many times? And what's with this? Two years ago, there were 10 steps, but a year ago, it was only seven steps, just like we'll see today. Did casting out demons change over the past year? I guess that must be the case because he has pictures like this one. Remember, nowhere in the Bible are we taught how to cast out demons and nowhere are there levels of demon casting expertise mentioned. So as long as Isaiah keeps trying to teach this, I'm going to keep refuting it. And in this video, Isaiah destroys his ministry with one verse. So make sure you watch until the end because this will shock you. Okay, straight away I want to answer the question, should all believers cast out demons? And the answer is yes. Every single one of us knows someone that's in need of deliverance. Jesus did it, the disciples did it, and then carrying on through the book of Acts, deliverance took place. It's very, very important we do it. If Jesus did it, it's good enough for me. But Jesus didn't cast demons out of spirit-filled believers. And there's not one example of a born-again believer having a demon cast out. And that's what you do, Isaiah. Now, this is going to be a quick video, concise, giving you these seven uh, steps to casting out demons. But before we do that, I want to give you this verse in Matthew 8, 16 to think about. It says something so interesting. It says, they brought him many possessed with demons and he cast out spirits with a word. Yes, Jesus cast out spirits with a word. And so did the apostles and nothing has changed for us today with a word, not over and over again, and sometimes taking up to four hours as we'll hear him say later on. As you start casting out demons, you'll see that it's never the same. It's like a puzzle. You're trying to figure out the pieces and figure out where to go. So I prefer one-on-one -on -one deliverances, but we also do mass deliverance. We also do altar deliverance. If you're going to do a one-on-one -on -one deliverance session, I would say have two people minimum, five people maximum, one person leading the deliverance, one person just supporting and praying, one person maybe taking notes on what demons are manifesting or what's happening so you can go back later and make sure those demons are gone. And then maybe one or two people praying quietly, asking for revelation, asking for words of knowledge. Does the Bible, that is God's word, tell us to do anything he just said in regards to doing personal deliverance? No. Paul told the spirit in the slave girl to leave and it did. What Isaiah is teaching is his own method that is not backed up by scripture. The first step I want you to remember when it comes to casting out demons is make sure the person you're praying for wants to be free. There's no point in trying to cast out demons from someone that doesn't want it. Isaiah is making up his own rules here. Let's go back to Paul again and the slave girl. Did she want deliverance? No, but Paul cast it out anyways. So according to Isaiah, Paul messed up with that one. We know according to Matthew 12, if a demon comes out and the person's house is empty, the demon just comes back seven times worse with more of its friends. Yes, this is true and applies to born again believers as well in this phony ministry. It has nothing to do with wanting deliverance because we can see the same Christians needing deliverance over and over again. In the last video on Isaiah, he said that Christians should get demons cast out every few months. And like he just said, that would mean they could come back with seven more wicked spirits than before. When does the cycle ever end? So this is not a ministry for just the unbeliever that wants to keep serving the enemy. If you're doing deliverance on an unbeliever, if I'm doing deliverance on an unbeliever, I'm going to give them a gospel presentation first, and I'm going to bring them the gospel. If they say, 
I don't want to serve God. I just want to be delivered. Then it's likely I'm not going to do the deliverance on them because I know that the demons are just going to come back worse. But Isaiah, the person wanting to serve God, has nothing to do with casting the demons out and them coming back worse. Because demons come back to born-again believers with you guys all the time. And having the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to protect them. And also, they're going to have an extremely hard time casting out demons from a person that doesn't want it. The demons recognize your will. God recognizes your will. Free will is a real thing. And so the demons will often say, I don't have to leave. They want me here. So when you're casting out demons, make sure they want deliverance. Make sure they participate. They're just sitting there, just whatever. It's probably not going to be successful. They need to want it more than you want it. Everything he said is absolute rubbish. And there's not one scripture to prove that a person must want deliverance more than you want to deliver them. And there's no examples in scripture of demons saying this person wants us here. So we don't have to leave. I tell people, if I'm going to do this deliverance on you, you got to want it more than me. Cause this is a wrestling match. Ephesians six says we're wrestling against spirits persons without bodies. So these are personalities that live inside of people. And when you're doing deliverance, you need to make sure you're doing it with a person that actually wants to be delivered. So that's number one. But Ephesians 6.12 doesn't mean that we're literally having a wrestling match with these unseen demons. This struggle or fight is between our sinful fleshly nature and our spiritual nature. As Matthew 26.41 says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak which is why we are told in James 4, 7, that we must submit ourselves to God and resist the devil and he will flee. I guess since we're talking about wrestling, we could say that the demons will tap out. Number two is start by leading them through prayers of renouncing. Make sure they deal with unforgiveness and make sure they verbally tell the demons, I don't want you here. Once again, there is no scriptural example of this needing to be done to have a demon cast out of someone. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but he who confesses and renounces finds mercy. So there's a whole bunch of verses if you just Google scriptures on renouncing, about renouncing darkness and renouncing evil, but it's just you saying, I don't want it anymore. I don't want this in my life. And so it breaks that legal right the demon has. It makes it easier for you to you be able to go in there and go to deliverance. Proverbs 28, 13 is speaking of unconfessed sin holding you back in the area of prospering. This has nothing to do with casting out demons. Okay, number three, confront the demon. This is key. Demons must be confronted keep calling them out keep putting pressure on them if someone says i'm dealing with perversion or lust i will literally say i command the spirit of lust to be bound i command you to come out in jesus name i bind you in jesus name you're confronting that demon demons need to be confronted some people say well i've never manifested or been through deliverance has anyone ever confronted a demon in you you need to call them out by name it's not enough to just say i command every demon to come out call them out by name put pressure on them once again, a totally man-made teaching. No scripture tells us we have to name the demon. In Acts 16, 18, Paul told the unclean spirit to leave, and it did. He didn't have to call it a spirit of divination. Isaiah's teaching is his own and not in the Bible. This is all about the work that Jesus did. It's not about us. It's about what Jesus did. And this is what we do in his name, not our name. Yes, Isaiah. And that's why we don't have to wrestle with demons or take many hours to cast them out. It's not about us. It's about the power of the name of Jesus in a believer that the demons listen to. 
Okay, number four is bind them in Jesus' name and command them to go into the abyss. We have the power to bind demons according to scripture. No, we don't. There's not one single verse that teaches we can bind demons. You'll often hear these people binding Satan, but he just keeps on escaping, doesn't he? So the way we take them out of circulation is we send them to the abyss. In Luke 8.31, the demons beg Jesus, do not send us into the deep or the abyss. So if they don't want to go there, that's a good place to send them. The Bible's not very clear on where we should send demons, but again, if they don't want to go there, it might be a good place to send them. The Bible says nothing about us being able to command demons to go anywhere. The demons beg Jesus because he alone has the power to send demons to the abyss. But Isaiah is teaching that we can do this while there is no scripture that teaches this. Now he goes into much longer explanations and I will leave the original link below, but we're gonna skip that for now. And then step number five is if the demon doesn't leave, find out why it's not leaving. This could be a legal consent. This could be um, they're holding out on you. They're trying to wait longer than you and staying. This could be unforgiveness. This is where it's okay to talk to demons. The only time I'll engage in conversation, which is not even conversation it's confrontation but the only time we'll even talk or interrogate a demon is if it doesn't leave once again we are not taught to speak to demons or that they can refuse to leave but isaiah is going to use the one example with legion to justify this and we see this in mark 5 jesus when the demon didn't leave uh the bible says he commanded the spirit which the greek verb was a repeated continuous action derek prince who was a literally a greek scholar says jesus in the text was saying come out of him come out of him come out of him and when jesus said it the demon didn't leave okay this is really bad let's take a look at mark 5 verse 8 it says that jesus told the unclean spirit to leave and i've got my own theory on this passage we'll look at after isaiah but he's saying that jesus was repeatedly saying come out come out come out which is not true. Logically, it's ridiculous that any spirit could resist God commanding them. And furthermore, if we look at the Greek, we see it's in the aorist imperative active second person singular, not plural. Jesus only has to command a spirit once. And even the description doesn't imply anything about multiple times. So this is deceitful to make it seem like our Lord couldn't get demons out on one command. So imagine how stubborn this demon was. And so Jesus asked the demon its name. So if Jesus asked the demon its name, it's okay for us to ask the demon its name. Sometimes the demons could reveal other demons hiding, the number of demons that are there, why they won't leave. Maybe there's a curse that needs to be broken. Maybe there's a demonic accursed object that they're tied to, but there's no problem with asking the demon its name. Do not get on talking these long conversations with it. You say we don't need a long conversation, but that's what you guys do all the time, especially people like Daniel Adams. Just ask the demon its name, find out its structure, find out its strategy, find out its, uh, you know, its personality, and then you can go ahead and deal with it. Once again, we are taught nothing about this in the Bible. This is listening to the man Isaiah, not God. But like a spirit of confusion will try to confuse you. A spirit of anger will make the person angry. So it is important to find the name to help with its function. Okay, so that's number five. These demon slayers use this one example to say it's okay to talk with demons and that it can take more than just one command. Isaiah has given his understanding to support his false teaching. Now allow me to present some possibilities. Perhaps this example was being used to show that a person could have more than one demon in them. In this case, it was thousands. 
Or perhaps it's just because Jesus commanded the one unclean spirit to come out in a singular form. And one spirit did leave, but the man wasn't set free. So Jesus asked his name and found out that there were thousands in this guy. We don't really know, but we should definitely not use this one unique situation to create a whole ministry that believes you can take hours to cast out a demon or that it takes anything more than one command in Jesus' name for a demon to leave, as we saw in other biblical examples in the Bible. And Isaiah confirms what I just said. Again, don't expect it to take 20 minutes or 30 minutes. It could take five minutes or it could take four hours. So you have people that have opened the door for their entire lives to demons and you think it's going to happen instantly and quick. It does a disservice when we say it should only be a few minutes. Oftentimes this is a wrestling match. Once again, totally unbiblical. Okay, so after you've gotten, you think the demon out, number six is, number six, go back and check two to three more times. And demons are incredibly good at hiding. So if you're taking notes during the deliverance, which someone should be taking notes. And we should go back two or three times and have people taking notes because the Bible teaches this. Oh, right. It doesn't. We do it because Isaiah says so. Um, look for any type of physical manifestations and then also pray, ask the Holy Spirit for word of knowledge. Guys, throughout this entire process, you should be asking the Holy Spirit for wisdom. You should be asking him for words of knowledge. The Holy Spirit will oftentimes just tell you the name of the demon before the, the demon even tells you. So it's important to be working with the Holy Spirit in this, but I would check and go back two to three more times, make sure everything's gone. And then if something resurfaces, which it often does at step six, then go back to step two, three, four, and go back and continue to bind the demon and continue to cast it out. Wow, what a long and confusing process. And this is demon casting for beginners. But now we get to the shocking, hypocritical lesson number seven. And then most important step, step number seven. This is number seven. These are the seven steps to casting out demons for beginners. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill them after. Pray that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and be protected. This is the most important part. Remember, Jesus said if the house is empty, that's the key word empty. The Bible says it's in order, but the house is empty. So if it's empty, the demons will come back. We need to fill the house with the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to come into that part of the soul and that part of the person's life that the demon has left. It's very important you do that. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill them, anoint them with oil, and that is seven steps to casting out demons. He just stressed how important it is to have the Holy Spirit because without him, demons can come back. So which is it, Isaiah? The Holy Spirit protects us from demons, like you just said, or what you really preach and that we can still have demons even with the Holy Spirit and should get them cast out every few months. And secondly, who do you think you are? that you can just command the Holy Spirit to enter a person and protect them from demons. How about preaching the gospel, explaining that we all deserve hell because of sin against God and that God alone will send us the Holy Spirit when we have repented and believed on Jesus' finished work on the cross for the atonement of our sins. My friends, if you do listen to Isaiah or any of these demon slayers, realize they are keeping you in bondage to their lies. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, then demons cannot enter you. Influence you, yes, but not live in your body. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then that's all you need to cast out demons. Hey everybody, Sean here, and today we're going to continue to look at Isaiah Saldivar. 
Many people had requested him to be examined because they had concerns about his methods. We looked at one of his live Zoom casting videos and saw a session that lasted for over 12 minutes of him using authority in Christ to cast it out, then asking God to remove it, then having her repeat words to remove it, yet by the end of the video nothing really happened. I've watched several of his videos and they're all pretty much the same. Some have a so-called deliverance, but most of the time it's nothing too dramatic and would seem more like a placebo healing. We even saw a young girl smiling and joking in the background that would have been susceptible to having whatever demon was being cast out enter her. This is not a joking matter. And please remember, we are not addressing whether or not Isaiah is really saved or not. We are simply looking at his actions and comparing them to what the Bible says. Although we will be looking at his testimony that is quite suspicious. But Isaiah is correct in saying that casting out demons is biblical. But making a ministry or business about casting demons out of so-called Christians is not. Nowhere in the Bible does it say when we struggle with something that could be influenced by a demon, should we go to a brother or sister in Christ and have them bind it or cast it out of us. So why do so many people do this? And now Isaiah has joined the club that sells his products on the Sid Roth Show, Supernatural Stories, and It's Supernatural, where he's going to teach you how to see in the unseen realm. I'm pretty sure there's no Bible verse that teaches this. We'll listen to a few clips in a moment, but here's the product he's got for sale. Call now and get Isaiah Saldivar's anointed and exclusive four-part audio CD teaching series. Be empowered. It's exclusive for our It's Supernatural audience. Yours for a donation of $29. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 3687. You will walk in the divine power of God. You'll walk in the supernatural, and it will become normal for you to see demons cast out. It will become normal for you to see the sick healed. It will become normal for you to see someone die and say, I'm going to go pray and believe God to raise them from the dead. Through Isaiah Saldivar's exclusive and anointed four-part audio CD teaching series, Be Empowered, you will be equipped to violently assault the gates of hell. Be given the keys to walking every day in the kingdom of God, which most of the church have not been using. Learn how to cast out a demon. So you can buy his product to learn this, or we can have the Holy Spirit teach us through God's word. Lawrence shared that one time during an event, a guy that was usually very nice just became belligerent, angry, and started yelling out of nowhere. So in front of everyone, he commanded the unwanted spirit to leave in Jesus' name. And what happened? It left immediately. He finishes off by saying that he's only done that once and it was nothing like any of the nonsense we see here. Here's the thing, folks. If you think you need to add anything to the power of the name of Christ working through you, then it's not faith in Christ alone. The tone of your voice, the volume of your voice, or the amount of words you speak add nothing to the power in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's continue with his product. Learn the answer to the following questions. What are the steps to casting out a demon? How do I heal the sick? How do I raise the dead? How do I walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power of God? Isaiah includes powerful anointed prayers for you throughout the teaching series. A prayer to break the spirit of fear off of you. A prayer to break the power of unbelief. A prayer to break any legal ties with the enemy. A prayer to break demonic strongholds that are stopping miracles from happening in your life. A prayer to break every assignment and strategy of the enemy over you now. 
Isaiah also releases the fire of God over you and activates the gifts of the Spirit over your life. So calling down the fire of God over someone is not a good thing. And Isaiah has no power. That is zero power to activate the gifts of the Spirit over our lives. One of the reasons why I see people afraid of demons is they're not trained or properly equipped to deal with demons. As you get trained in these teachings, you're going to lose any fear that you have, any ambiguity or any fear that you might have or mystery with the supernatural or the demonic realm. Be equipped to advance the kingdom of God through the supernatural weapons of warfare. This is exclusive with us, but we have it for you. It's time for you to be empowered. And that's all we need to see of that. So let's hear his testimony. His sister is giving him the business. Come to church, come to, I'll go one time. What happened? Yeah, so I was raised in church like many people watching. 16, I decided to become an atheist and stop going to church at 19 years old. I'd graduated high school at 16. I was a month from graduating college at 19 to become a police officer, go to the academy with an administration of justice degree. My little sister for six months said, just go to church one time. And she kept saying, I'll never bug you again, just go one time. So I said, I'm gonna go. And I told my girlfriend this just to shut her up so she'll stop bugging. I'll never forget this said, walking through the door of that church, this thought came into my mind. This will be the last time I ever stepped foot in a church building. And I walked in there, I sat in this mega church in the very back where they rope it off. I said, I'm not gonna listen to this. I was making fun of the people on stage. After the preacher got done preaching, I felt, now this might strike some unbelief in the audience here, but I felt something pulling on me as if you were grabbing my shirt and pulling me to the altar. Now I didn't know what it was. I just knew something is pulling me and I, I couldn't fight it to go to the altar. So he wasn't making the choice. God was forcing this atheist to come and be saved. And I went forward to that altar and I stood there and I said something that's gonna make a lot of religious people upset right here. I said, God, I don't effing believe in you. I actually cussed at God, I didn't know. You know, the Bible says, while we were sinners, Christ proved his love for us. But I said this, said, if you're real, if you are the God they say you are, and I just feel it right now, I said, I will lay down everything. I will give you my life. I will break up with the girls with for four years. I will quit my job that my dream job in law enforcement I'm about to get hired as. I'll leave everything. I'll move out of state. And so he F-bombs God and take note, he says he'll leave everything. That's 100%. And the reason why I was so bold, Sid, was I didn't believe God was real. So I could just say <laughs> whatever I want. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And in that moment, I said that. Again, an atheist didn't believe the audible voice of God. We're not talking about a small voice. We're not talking about an inward. The audible voice of God from heaven said, Isaiah, I don't want 99.9% .9 of you. I want everything. Why did God, audibly by the way, say that? Isaiah said already that he'd give him everything. Isaiah didn't say 99.9%. And if you give me my, your life, I will use you to preach my gospel to all nations. And God, I, I was in a trance-like state. I wasn't, I didn't feel I was at the altar anymore. I was in, it was, I just saw glowing bright lights. Like I was in another dimension and I just heard the Lord speak to me and God began to show me in visions. Everything I'm doing right now, I saw 10 years ago, the traveling, the preaching, the miracles, the deliverances, revival in my home. I started seeing that that night. Um, one thing that I wanted to say that was very incredible that began to happen when I came out of this vision, literal dirt started coming out of my eyes. I'm not talking spiritual. I'm not talking about mm -hmm. in the spirit. I'm a, I was an atheist five seconds ago. Dirt was coming out of my eyes and God began to remove the dirty scales that the world and, and lust and everything had put on me. And I was born again, speaking in tongues, trying to cover my mouth so my girlfriend wouldn't hear. I mean, no one was laying hands on me. I didn't know what it was. I had only heard tongues one time in my life. Mm. And now I'm sitting there speaking violently in tongues and the Holy Spirit just really changed my life. So there's his testimony. He F-bombed God and puts God to the test. No repentance, no grief over sin. 
And I guess God felt obligated to prove himself to be real to Isaiah. And then dirt literally comes out of his eyes and he starts speaking in tongues. I would really like to talk to the pastors at that church to confirm that story. Wow. Sid does a blurb comparing his experience to the experience with Saul of Tarsus and then says this. It gets even better. He started seeing through spiritual eyes for the first time in his life. You, you knew things about people. You, saw, you actually could see demons, am I right? Yeah, so when the service got over, I didn't recognize anybody, Said I, didn't, I only recognized my sister. I said, I gotta go home. They said, what happened to you? I said, I don't know, I'm a different person. I am a different, I'm talking about, I didn't recognize colors. I said, what colors? I don't think I've ever seen that. It was just blue. I just, everything was new. So he gets born again and suddenly couldn't recognize anyone and couldn't recognize colors? Sounds more like a curse than a born again experience. I got home, didn't sleep for three days, but what happened was the next day I went to college, I got on my college campus, Sid, and I started seeing demons and angels. And I'm not talking about just in the spirit. I was seeing them like if I was seeing you all around my college campus, warring over people. I started hearing voices. Well, yeah, not sleeping for three days. People hallucinate and hear stuff. I didn't know they were words of knowledge, but getting words of knowledge for kids around me, my teacher, I looked at the guy next to me in class, I'll never forget, and I said, what, well, what happened to you? He said, what do you mean? And I started hearing about what he had gone through as a kid and what he had been through, words of knowledge. I thought he was talking to me because I didn't know how radical this no, was. Quite the story indeed. He goes on to talk about casting out demons and explains his product about him teaching you all this stuff, but we're going to skip that. He's also a prosperity preacher. Teaches how to pray in tongues. Hey guys, so today I want to talk to you about how to pray in tongues and the difference between praying in tongues and speaking in tongues. At the end of this video, I'm gonna pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I'm believing by faith that those of you that have never prayed in tongues are gonna receive your prayer language tonight. He can't pray for us to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we'll speak in tongues. Tongues is a gift and we don't all have the same gifts. In this video, he says that he doesn't call himself a prophet, but feels called to the office of prophet and got a download from God he wants to share. Now, let me give you some disclaimers before I give this word because some of you have never heard a word of the Lord like this or never heard somebody prophesy like this. I do not call myself a prophet, but if there was any of the five offices that I feel God has called me to based on how I preach and based on how God speaks to me, it would be the office of the prophet. Again, I'm not into titles. I've never called myself a prophet. I, I challenge you to take the word I'm going to give you tonight. You can judge it. You can test it with scripture. You can receive it or you cannot receive it. It's up to you. My job is just to give you the word that God has given to me for the body of Christ for 2021. So I don't call myself a prophet. You're never going to find a video of me saying, hey, welcome. This is prophet Isaiah here. I'm just not into it. I'm not trying to judge anyone that's doing it or doing that. I'm just letting you know, I don't call myself that. This year for about the last two weeks, I've been asking the Lord for about two to three weeks, what the word was for 2021. And I didn't feel anything specific. God didn't give me any special download. So I figured, you know what? I'm going to get on here and give you guys a word for the new year. I'll give you guys a prophetic word from the word of God. But then last night, as I was praying and studying, I was up till about three o'clock in the morning. But last night around 930 or 10 o'clock, as I was praying, as I was studying, just getting ready to get on here and to give you guys what I felt God was saying and what I felt God was doing, God began to download on me a specific word for 2021. Not a prophet, but called to the office of a prophet and gets a download from God to share. Interesting. 
In this video, his story adds another tidbit not mentioned in the Sid Roth video. I was born again that night. I was so radically changed. I say atheist to revivalist in one second. That's all God needs is one second. And God really marked me that night, radically changed me from being yeah, an atheist. That's incredible. I mean, it, you, you literally were like, up for the next three nights. I mean, you didn't yeah. eat for the next two weeks. Yeah. So he didn't sleep for three days and also didn't eat for two weeks? That would definitely add to seeing things and hearing things. And in this video called How to See the Unseen Realm, he explains the gift of discerning spirits as actually being able to see angels and demons just like he does and teaches how to activate this gift. I think with the example of our brother Lawrence, that is what discernment is. The Holy Spirit allowed him to discern the man had an unclean spirit, and Lawrence did what any born-again believer can do and told it to leave in Jesus' name, and it did. I know we'll have a lot of people defending him in the comments here, and that's fine, but I hope this video has opened the eyes of some to realize the issues with the things Isaiah is teaching. I'm convinced more than ever that he's a false teacher, and I'd love to hear what you think. So please, leave your thoughts and comments below, and until next time, take care and God bless.